0: I want to get into the teaching now and I want to tell you something the Lord showed me a couple of weeks ago. I noticed that my land, my, my actual home in the backyard, the yard was dying off and this, this yard has been pristine for 18 years. I've lived at this house and the, I've never had a problem in this spot and so I called up the lawn care service and I said, I think there's some kind of insect or something killing my yard and and he came out and he checked it, and he left me a note, and he said it's not insects, there's nothing there he said you're overwatering the land and i thought i 'm not overwatering the land it's raining like crazy now this year in Florida, if you speak to native Floridians, they will say that it has rained more than any year since they can remember it's rain and rain and rain and rain, buckets of rain now it rains a lot in Florida. Uh, during uh, this time of, you know, during the summer. But this is incredible. I mean, the amount of water that we've been deluged with. And uh, what this description said is stop watering so much or increase drainage. Well, if you guys know anything about construction, and I don't very, very much, but increasing the drainage on a yard is quite a project. You're either moving a lot of earth around or you're doing a French drain or you're doing something significant to accommodate this increased uh, amount of water that's coming down and I said to the uh, and the Lord I heard the Lord speak and he said Matt this is a picture of what's happening in the spiritual that the environment and I do believe our physical environment is changing i I don't doubt that there's some kind of global warming or whatever I dispute the cause <laughs> of the problem but I believe it's mankind's rebellion against God that is changing the environment. But we've got, we've got this uh, environmental change in the physical, but we also have an environmental change in the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And if we keep doing things like we've done them up till now, we're going to end up with the fruitfulness in the kingdom beginning to die off. And I believe this is how the Lord moves things along in seasons. You understand? Because what if you think about the Jewish people that were the... The religious set, they wanted to keep things as they were. And Jesus brought in this whole new program and they didn't want to go with it. So did they continue to be fruitful in what they were doing? No, they began to die off. And so the Lord is bringing us into a new season. And I think the feasts are part of that. So what is this? What is the one new man come from? Ephesians 2, 14 through 15 is the scripture that is where this term came from. I remember having this conference four years ago in Florida called Healing the One New Man. It was a five-day conference, and I had some special speakers come in. And I got some calls, and there were women, and they said, uh, uh, are we allowed to come to this? Because it says Healing the One New Man. And I thought, wow, people haven't connected this. So it's not just we're talking about the one new person, all right? <laughs> Male, female, but uh, it's the one new man in the scriptures that's referenced here. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. But if you go further back in the scripture, Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. But then you jump three, three verses forward, and it says, for we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus, for what? Okay, so it's not about being saved by works, but we are created to do good works, and so if we're not functioning in good works we, we, that are advancing the kingdom, not the world's good works, but things that are advancing the kingdom, then we have to say, what's wrong? Why are we not productive? Why is our grass not green? Is there a problem here that we need to go back and fix? And so uh, the, the whole idea of the one new man is a coming together of Jew and Gentile, every nation into one person. Now, I love into one body, let's say that. Now, I like this word creation because in the Greek it is poema, okay, from which we get poem. So the idea of our very lives is that we are an ongoing creation that he is doing day by day. He's making us new, he's restoring us, and he's making our life a poem to himself. But then the one new man is going to be a combination of all of these poems being put together into one beautiful mosaic and I'll talk a little bit more about the mosaic concept in a minute but that's the idea of the one new man. We're all going to be different people but we're not, going, we're not just going to be automatons. That's not what the one new man is. It's not becoming everybody looking exactly alike. It's the diversity That makes the beauty of the poem. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, Warren Wearsby says this, Since the hour that God called Abraham, God made a difference between Jews and Gentiles. He made this difference, not that the Jews might boast, but that they might be a blessing and a help to Gentiles. I say, Amen, that's absolutely true. God set them apart that he might use them Uh, to be a channel of his revelation and goodness to the heathen nation. Sad to say, Israel kept that difference nationally and ritually, but not morally. Israel became like the lost nations around her. For this reason, God often had to discipline the Jews because they would not maintain their spiritual separation and minister to the nations in the name of the true God. And we know that is true. But what it, what isn't mentioned here by Warren, and I believe the Lord is trying to point out to us, the church now, is that, hey, you've got a beam, you've got a beam in your own eye. What we look at Israel and say, look how they've behaved. The Lord is trying to get the church to say, hey, wait a minute. You've got the same similar issues. You've, you've, you've kept rituals and you've kind of followed the, the rules, but the spirit of it's gotten lost. And I want you to get this beam out of your eye and begin to understand what I'm trying to do because the morality of the church now, we see it sliding significantly, don't we? And if we don't get hold of this issue with regard to the old covenant, we are going to find ourselves swept away like you see those pictures down in florida right now of houses that have been completely removed from their foundations and it's shocking to me, some of the people that are taking positions theologically, it's astounding to me that those people would begin to be sliding in this direction. We've seen the moral decay among Christian leaders and even ones we've significantly trusted, but now we're seeing a theological decay even among very firm evangelical believers that have held the key tenets of the faith about the Lord, and and who He is, and what what redemption's about, and how that's achieved. And I think that's only going to get worse. Are you following me? I don't think it's going to get less. Unless the Lord pushes a pause button somehow, and there's some kind of revival, we're going to keep going this direction. Here's the cool thing, if you read in Revelation, I never noticed this until a couple of years ago, but in Revelation it talks about the new heaven, and the city of Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem. And it describes it, and in the description of the New Jerusalem, I'm not going to take time to read the scripture, but you have 12 gates that go into the city. Now, what are the 12 gates named after? Actually, the 12 tribes are the gates. But there's another 12 that are also mentioned, and who is that? The 12 apostles, and they are the foundations represented by different colors of stone. Now, isn't it interesting that in this picture, of the New Jerusalem, we have the 12 tribes still specifically mentioned, but we also have the 12 apostles who started, really started the church. So it's a picture of the one new man, of Jew and Gentile coming together and making the New Jerusalem. So when this comes together, and this is what's in your notes, it says uh, the essential character of the one new man, the one new man is going to be one. Okay? It's going to be unified. And we'll talk about unity in a second. But it's also going to be new. It isn't going to look like what it used to look like of either Jew or Gentile believer. The the Jews are not going to look super Jewish and the Gentiles are not going to look super Gentile. It's going to be something that looks like, have you ever seen two people that got married, had a kid, and the kid looks like both of them, but not exactly like either of them. Because it's a new thing, and that's the whole idea of the butterfly. It's a transformation into something new. And and what the Lord showed me a few years ago during the Feast of Sukkot while I was in uh, uh, um, Kiev, Ukraine, I went to a one-new-man congregation that was equally Jewish and Gentile, and they were celebrating Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a very uh, unified feast, by the way, when we get time to talk about it specifically. But um, when I was there, the presence of the Lord was so powerful that during the we worshiped two and a half hours, and it seemed like fifteen minutes. I'm I kid you not, and I wasn't even in their language. They were singing in Russian, and I didn't know what they were saying even. And yet the the worship seemed like so short as compared. When I looked at my watch, I was like, "We've been doing this two and a half hours." Then I got up, and the, the pastor, though we couldn't speak the same language, he was very broken English, and I couldn't speak any Ukrainian or Russian. He asked me to say something, and what I said feathered with exactly what he said. He was a Jewish man. His name's uh, Boris Grasenko. And Boris up after, got up after me and began to speak about, about the being transformed by the renewing of the mind which went exactly with what I had shared before that in verse 1 that says, be not conformed to this world. I mean, uh, but I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And then it goes on, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. What I shared with the congregation the Lord put on my heart feathered into what he said. And while he was talking about transformation and changing our mindsets, a butterfly, now this is in the fall, it's very cold by this time in Ukraine. Butterflies should not be flying around. A butterfly comes out of the ceiling. It's one of these monarch butterflies. It flies down. It floats around him, and it lands on the tallit. You know what a tallit is? It's a prayer shawl that's hanging on his pulpit. And it sits there, and it kind of flexes its wings while he's talking about transformation. And the Lord said to me, this is what I'm trying to tell. When the one new man comes, it's going to be so, it's going to be like, the difference between a caterpillar of where we've been in the church, which has been good and has done its job, but when the one new man comes, it's going to be like a butterfly from a caterpillar. And so it's going to be a complete transformation. Now, the, one, the one final thing I'd say about unity, and then I want to get to the part about anti-Semitism, because this is important before we launch into talking about the feasts, to talk about anti-Semitism and our own pasts. Uh, The importance and power of unity we saw with the Tower of Babel that it was bad news when people were unified in an ungodly way. And the enemy knows that. We've dealt with people that have been in witchcraft covens in LL. Not in LL in a witchcraft coven, but we've dealt with people in LL that have been in witchcraft covens. And they do things to unify themselves spiritually, including all kinds of ungodly sexual activity, to unify their spiritual connection so they can do these things that are quite powerful in an ungodly way to accomplish ungodly ends. But when we have godly connections spiritually that are, are powerful and not distorted by sin and all of that, then there is a supernatural power that's, that's released in that unity. And that is what Pastor Joe and I were talking about last night, that if we do not get hold of this concept, the, the darkness and the winds and the waves of, of this release of darkness in the world, that's all I can say describe it as, is going to overwhelm us. But if we are unified, we will stick to the rock. And when some of us are blowing in the wind, so to speak, others are going to be holding on. And we'll be able to hold each other in that unity. It'll be a very powerful thing. But we've got some work to do to get to that place. And this is one of the keys to it. Now, I want to end this session with talking about the reality of anti-Semitism and end with some prayer just with us. Now, some of you may have had a lot of experience with Israel. You may have heard a lot of teaching on it. Some of you have had limited teaching. I doubt that a lot of you have done what I'm about to ask you to do, which is when we get to the end of talking about this, that we would pray and just allow the Lord to do a ministry into our hearts that if there be any of these things in us, from our past, from our generational line, from our, even, our own past behavior, that we would deal with those issues before we go into the heart of the teaching. And here's what I found. And I'm just gonna pray right now in Jesus' name, bind anything of darkness, in Jesus' name, that would oppose this teaching and affect the minds of the people so they can't hear or understand what I'm saying. In Jesus' name, I just command you to be silent any spirit that opposes what the Lord is doing here. I bind you down. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come and remove the veils from people's eyes today. So I, when I've taught this, I, there's been some very godly men that I highly respect, and they've come to me and said, when you start teaching about this, my mind goes everywhere. I can't, I can't focus. I, will you pray for me? One humble... Pat, one humble leader came to me and said that. And I prayed for them, and there was a tightness that, appeared, that started gathering in their forehead. And I think the enemy does stuff in our family lines to lock down this ability to understand this truth. So what I've taken to is teaching about this issue of anti-Semitism and then having some prayer about it right up front, okay? So that we can move on in relative freedom. I want to show you how uh, 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 anti-Semitism got into the church in the early years. Um, Justin Martyr, he he was born, I think, uh, in 138, it says here, some say in 100 A.D. Um, this is what he wrote in his dialogue with Trifo uh, when he was alive. And he's held up as one of the, you know, the church fathers in, in Catholicism, but the Catholic Church was the downstream of the original church. I mean, we Protestants don't like that, but the fact of the matter is, I do believe that they were and they're very distorted. I'm not endorsing Catholicism in any way, but I do think that it does go back. And Justin Martin, martyr, said this, we too would observe your circumcision of the flesh, your Sabbath days. He's talking about Jews. And in a word, all your festivals, if we were not aware of the reason why they were imposed upon you. So now see, see what's coming in here is looking at the feasts as if they're an imposition and a punishment, <laughs> actually, when actually the feasts are a blessing imposed upon you, namely because of your sins in the hardness of your heart. So there's a lot of judgment in this about Jews, isn't there? And he goes on to say, the custom of circumcision, uh, of circumcising the flesh handed down from Abraham was given to you as a distinguishing mark to set you off from other nations and from us Christians. The purpose of this was that you and Only you might suffer the afflictions that are now justly yours, that only your land be desolated, your cities ruined by fire, that the fruits of your land be eaten by strangers before your very eyes, that not one of you will be permitted to enter your city of Jerusalem. Your circumcision of the flesh is the only mark by which you can certainly be distinguished from other men. As I stated before, it was by reason of your sins and the sins of your fathers that among other precepts God imposed upon you the observance of the Sabbath, as a mark now now it's distortion not only of the what the feasts were given for because the lord said the feasts uh, or the sabbath is, is made for man not man for the for the sabbath so we're not to be enslaved but but it's a blessing actually for us and he's distorting it to be a curse that the that the jews had to carry and because of their terribleness. You, you hear all the kind of anti-semitic assumptions in here. Origin of Alexandria, another church father, an ecclesiastical writer and teacher who contributed to the early formation of Christian doctrines, we may thus assert in utter confidence that the Jews will not return to their earlier situation. What What does Romans chapter 11 say? Have they fallen so they cannot get up? But here's what Origen is saying. They'll never return to their earlier situation for they have committed the most abominable of crimes. They're unsavable. In forming this conspiracy against the savior of the human race, hence the city where Jesus suffered was necessarily destroyed. The Jewish nation was driven from its country and another people was called by God to be the blessed election. This is supersessionism. This is the church replaces Israel. God has no longer any purpose for the nation. That is the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. John Chrysostom, one of the greatest of the church fathers, known as the Golden Mouth, a missionary preacher famous for his sermons and addresses, 344 to 407, he said, The synagogue is worse than a brothel. It is the den of scoundrels and the repair of wild beasts, the temple of demons devoted to idolatrous cults, the refuge of brigands and debauchees, I don't even know if that's a word, and the, the cavern of devils. It is a criminal assembly of Jews, a place of meeting for the assassins of Christ, a house worse than a drinking shop, a den of thieves, a house of ill fame, a dwelling of iniquity, the refuge of devils, a gulf and an abyss of perdition. I would say the same thing about their souls. As for me, I hate the synagogue. I hate the Jews for the same reason." Peter the Venerable, known as the meekest man, a model of Christian charity. Yes, you Jews, I say. Do I address you? You who till this very day deny the Son of God. How long, poor wretches, will you, will you not believe the truth? Truly I doubt whether a Jew can be really human. I lead out from its den a monstrous animal and show it as a laughingstock in the amphitheater of the world. In the sight of all people, I bring thee forward, thou Jew, thou brute beast, in the sight of all men." And the, sadly, this is the early church. But now you've got Martin Luther, who's a reformer, who had the chance when he brought the Reformation to say, wait, this is off with the Catholic Church. But he did it. Now, in his early years, I'm going to read you what he said in his early years of his ministry. If I had been a Jew and had been and seen such dolts and blockheads. Now, he's talking about the Catholic Church because he was an anti-papist, okay? So he was very vitriolically... Against the the Catholic Church So he's blaming them for the Jews not coming to salvation In the process of this But this is what he said in 1523 Blockheads govern and teach the Christian faith I would sooner have become a hog than a Christian They have dealt with the Jews as if they were dogs rather than human beings They have done little else than deride them and seize their property. When they baptize them, they show them nothing of Christian doctrine or life, but only subject them to popishness and monkery of the apostles. If the apostles, who also were Jews, had dealt with us Gentiles as Gentiles deal with the Jews, there would never have been a Christian among the Gentiles. And that is probably true. <laughs> Going on, when we are inclined to boast of our position as Christians, we should remember that we are but Gentiles, while the Jews are the lineage of Christ. We are aliens in the law. They are blood relatives, cousins and brothers of our Lord. Therefore, if one is to boast of flesh and blood, the Jews are actually nearer to Christ than we are. If we really want to help them, we must be guided in our dealings with Them Not by papal law, but by the law of Christian love. We must receive them cordially and permit them to trade and work with us that they may have occasion and opportunity to associate with us, hear our Christian teaching, and witness our Christian life. If some of them would prove stiff-necked, what of it? After all, we ourselves are not all good Christians either. Oh, that's good stuff, actually. Okay, let's reach out to the Jews. Well, apparently he did reach out to the Jews, and he got rebuffed because they didn't want to receive... Messiah. And in 1526, we see them coming to him, asking him because he'd been friendly to them for, their, for his help in getting a, an edict that had been promulgated in his area overturned because he had influence with the Christian prince in that region. And so they asked him if he would help them. And this is what he responded to them at that point, because now you start seeing Luther become, okay, I'm not sure I'm with these people. Because when they came to ask him for help, and this is one of the key things I think the Lord wants to impart to this church, there's going to come a time when the Jewish people need help, and we will either help them or we will turn their back on them. And if we choose to turn our back on them, we are going to have a significant a significant problem with the Lord. And the Lord is going to give us an opportunity to do that. Just like he did Martin Luther here, and Martin decided to go the other way because what did he say i would willingly do my best for your people but i will not contribute to your jewish obstinacy by my own kind actions you must find another intermediary with my good lord when asked to intercede this is what he said when asked to intercede with the elector of saxony because of a mandate that prohibited jews from inhabiting engaging in business or passing through his realm. now the next thing he said um he said well I I just mentioned this recall what happened to the Moabites and also to Edom Edom didn't come to the aid of Israel the Lord gave me Obadiah to share I don't know if it's supposed to be for today or for tomorrow but Obadiah is about Edom and the judgment that came on Edom because they stood to the side and did not help the nation and people of Israel at the time that they they should have the Moabites wouldn't let Israel pass through now by the way these were all relatives (laughs) in, in a sense related and I believe it's a word for the church actually because we are related spiritually to the Jewish people by 1543 Luther writes the Jews in their lies which encourages the following to burn down Jewish synagogues and schools and warn people against them to refuse to let Jews own houses among uh, Jews own houses among Christians for Jewish l- religious writings to be taken away for rabbis to be forbidden to preach to offer no protection to Jews on highways to For usury to be prohibited, for all silver and gold to be removed, put aside for safekeeping, given back to the Jews who truly convert, and to give young, strong Jews flail, axe, spade, and spindle, and let them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow. Now, what comes from this? Uh, I'm not going to go through all his quotes. The fact of the matter is, it was terrible, the things that he said in the Jews and their lives. And this was not very long before Martin Luther passed away, by the way. I don't remember the exact number of years, but very short. Um, out of that, remember what he said about work? This. What does this say? Arbeit macht frei. Work makes you free. You can see in what happened in Germany and the anti-Semitic spirit that was at the heart of that, but was all over Europe, by the way. And the Lord showed me in dreams that the entire Holy Roman Empire was infested with this anti-Semitic spirit and it has to go away because the Jews will return to Israel by the route they dispersed. And so that route that they dispersed, there needs to be friendlies, believers that are going to be helping them to return to Israel. This is, a, this is a God thing that's coming and is coming very quickly. I don't know if it's 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, or, or 40 years, but I know it's not very far away. And the Lord is asking the church, are you willing to be part of what I'm going to do with returning the Jews to me? And it's not just going to be talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel with them, although it will involve that. It's going to be acts of love and acts of caring for them that take and disabuse them of the lies that the enemy put into them by things like this that were stated and things like this that were done to them in the name of Christ. You guys, we have a long road to get back to establishing trust with the Jewish people as Christians from our heritage. Work sets you free. And we have downstream from this, all of this stuff, this is the fruit of, of those things that were said not by godless men but by men of god people that named the name of Christ this is what William Shire says of Martin Luther. It is difficult to understand the behavior of most German Protestants in the first Nazi years unless one is aware of two things, their history and the influence of Martin Luther. The great founder of Protestantism was both a passionate anti-Semite and a ferocious believer in absolute obedience to political authority. He wanted Germany rid of the Jews, advice that was literally followed four centuries later by Hitler, Goering, and Himmler. Luther employed a coarseness of language unequalled in German history until the Nazi time. In no country, with the exception of Tsarist Russia, did the clergy become, by tradition, so completely servile to the political authority of the state. So, the rise and fall of the Third Reich by William Shirer. But it wasn't just it wasn't just Martin Luther, you guys. Every single one of the reformers, with the exception of. Uh, and perhaps the father of the Huguenots. I can't remember, but there might be one that wasn't anti-Semitic, but all the rest were anti-Semitic, very much so. This is John Calvin. There, that talking about the Jews, rotten and unbending stiff-neckedness, deserves that they be oppressed unendingly and without measure or end, and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. Says so that excerpts from this Latin, I think, uh, document, the Jew in Christian Theology. Or maybe it's German, I don't know. So, We need repentance, and this is what we're going to go into. I want to just, I know we're going over the hour, but I, are we supposed to take a break at the hours? Um, Let's let's do prayers before we take the break, which will probably extend this at least 10 and maybe 15 minutes, but then we'll just have a 10-minute break and we'll come back and finish things, okay? So, the... The things that we're going to be praying for, these are prayers that I put together, and they were spur of the moment at the Healing the One New Man conference four years ago, but I felt like the Lord gave me the words, and I've refined it a bit. But there's three elements to this. There's generational bloodline sin that, of anti-Semitism that we'll be speaking out repentance of. It doesn't mean that you know that you had that. We're saying, Lord, if there was any of this in my ancestry or in myself, I repent of it. Now, when I grew up as a kid, we made jokes about the Jews, it was just part of the. Well, I guess back in those days, you made jokes about a lot of different ethnic groups, right? But nonetheless, it wasn't godly. And uh, so there's, the, there's, there's our own anti Semitism and things that we've said, but there's also the generational, uh, the bloodline of the generations. And then there's our spiritual bloodline. Now, that, all of us were born again through the church. So what I'm trying to make the point of is even if you don't have a heritage from a blood relative of this, your spiritual heritage is tainted by anti-Semitism. And then the third one the Lord added during that conference, because I saw a significant effect in this, was people that are Jewish in their background and don't know it, but they have an identity in Israel and they've denied that, in generations past because of the things that were done to the Jews. So in that, there's a prayer of forgiveness for anybody that harassed or affected my generational line to cause us to deny our Jewishness. And Lord, we accept our identity with that, with that blood that may have come from, from Jacob. We're not, we're not trying to figure out if we're Jewish or not. I'm not. It doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile in the end. Do you understand? Except that the Lord has you, wants you to embrace your human identity. He wants you to embrace fully your human identity, but understand that you have a kingdom identity that doesn't matter about the physical identity. Are you following me? So these prayers are just that. You may know of it in your background, and, or you may... You you, you may not be aware, and sometimes people have reactions to it. It's okay. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Jesus is Jewish. He's known that you've loved him. He's known that you wanted to know him deeper, but he's calling you to something today to say, I want to rid this now, once and for all, from your past. So if you've done this before, great, but if you haven't, we want to do this now. I'm going to read through it because I want you to know what you're praying. This is the one for anti-Semitism. Lord Jesus, Messiah, I confess that you are both my Savior and the Lord of my life. I invite you now to bring to my mind any occasion when I have strayed from your truth, consciously or unconsciously, as a result of my upbringing in my family, in my church, or from anyone who has deceived me. I acknowledge your covenant with Abraham, to whom you promised descendants, a chosen nation, to be the light to the nations, a people you call the apple of your eye. I also acknowledge the work of of Satan to destroy your chosen nation. I ask you to forgive me for any words or deeds that I have said or committed against your people, the Jews. And we're going to pause here for if you remember specific things the Lord brings to your mind that you've done or said, This would be when you would whisper them, not so your neighbor can hear, but Lord, I confess this. I ask you to forgive me for this. Be specific. I'll give you a couple of seconds to do that. Then we'll go on. Lord Jesus, if there is any spirit of anti-Semitism that has passed down the generations of my family that affect me, I ask you to forgive our family iniquity and I forgive my forebearers and ask you to set me free. And then if you know specific people in your family, you're going to say, Lord, I ask you to forgive us for this that came out of Uncle So-and-so or, or my, great, my grandfather or he was Ku Klux Klan or he was involved with some kind of activity that was anti-Semitic um, in, in his background. And then I'm forgiving him. That's a key. I'm forgiving him or her. Please break any ungodly tie from this between me and any of my family line. Lord Jesus, if there is any wrong teaching I have received in the church regarding your people, Israel, that the church may replace, now replaces Israel in your purposes, that you have cursed every generation of Jews for killing Jesus, that the Jews are an example of people who would never be saved, that all your blessings and promises are now exclusively for the church, that the Old Testament is inferior to the New Testament. I forgive my pastors, ministers, for their misguided teaching. And if there's specific ones you know you got the teaching from, you're going to speak their names under your breath, not out loud so people can hear, but just speak those names under your breath. Please break every ungodly tie between me and them. Please set me free from these deceptions that I may fully receive the truth of your word. Um, thank you, I thank you that through your death and resurrection you've defeated Satan and all those who ha- he has deceived, that you've won back the authority your father gave to Adam that Satan usurped, and that in your name I as a believer have the right to enforce your authority over Satan breaking any curses that may have come upon me through anti-Semitism in Jesus' name. I break any curse of anti-Semitism over me. In Jesus' name, I command all spirits of anti-Semitism to leave me and then we'll just wait for the Lord for a minute. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your obedience uh, to your Father in dying in his perfect Lamb in place of me, redeeming me from my sin, that at the cross there was the transference of your righteousness to my unrighteousness. Thank you that I am washed clean in your blood, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have won the victory over death and hell, and in you I have life in its fullness. This is the rejection of my identity in Israel. I forgive every person, group of people that tortured, abused, murdered, stole, rejected, or otherwise sinned against me or my ancestors because of our identity in Israel. I release and forgive each and every one of those who have hurt me directly or through my ancestors. Specifically, I forgive. And if you know of history where the Gentiles were against uh, you or somebody was against your Jewish identity, you would... uh, Speak their names. I forgive those who have offended me because of their behavior, beliefs, or cultures as a Jewish person, including my own Jewish family and ancestry. So, some Jews have rejected their Jewish identity because they didn't like their ancestors, they didn't like their attitude or their quote unquote Jewishness. I forgive all these people for any way they caused me to reject my identity as a descendant of Israel or my inheritance in both the land of Israel and the person of Israel. I specifically forgive. And if you have anybody else you need to forgive, name anyone you know who may have negatively affected your decision to identify as a descendant of Israel. I ask you to forgive me for rejecting my own identity in Israel. Anyway, I agreed with the enemy about this and for taking any... False identity that rejected my true calling and purpose. I ask now that you would break and sever every ungodly soul tie between me and any of those who caused me to reject my identity in Israel. In Yeshua's name, I command anything of darkness that has held me in bondage, preventing me from coming into the fullness of my identity in Israel, to leave me now, never to return. Father God, I now choose to accept what you say my identity is, and all that means for me and my family in your kingdom. Please show me how to walk in who you say I am so that I bring the unity among your children that you prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thank you that as a Jew or Gentile, I too am chosen as you have said, Lord Jesus. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Thank you for the privilege and responsibility of being chosen. Okay? Now, if you're not in agreement with the prayer, or parts of it, don't say it. But if you are in agreement, um, then I want you to speak it out loud, and we're all going to stand and pray through this, slower than that, uh, and let the Lord work. So, Father, I just ask you to come by your Holy Spirit, because this is your work. I just pray that you send your ministering angels to move among us, Lord, Uh, And Lord, your spirit would move among us, Lord, that you would do this work and you would set people free today. And Lord, you would bring healing and restoration in the areas that have been broken by any of this in our past. Thank you, Lord, that you're a healing God that you want to heal. Thank you, Lord, that you're the Savior. In Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name we pray. So let's say this together. Lord Jesus, Messiah, I confess that you are both my Savior and the Lord of my life. I invite you now to bring to my mind any occasion when I have strayed from your truth, consciously or unconsciously, as the result of my upbringing in my family, in my church, or from anyone who has deceived me. I acknowledge your covenant with Abraham to whom you promised descendants, a chosen nation to be a light to the nations, a people you call the apple of your eye. I also acknowledge the work of Satan to destroy your chosen nation. I ask you to forgive me for any words or deeds that I have said or committed against your people, the Jews. And now let's just take a moment. Lord, I just ask you to bring to our mind anything we need to specifically confess of our own words or deeds. We just give these things to you, Lord. We speak them out under our breath. Those words, and we just renounce them, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness. Okay, let's go on. Lord Jesus, if there is any spirit of anti-Semitism that has passed down the generations of my family that affect me, I ask you to forgive our family iniquity, and I forgive my forebears and ask you to set me free. So if there is anyone you're aware of in your family that you need to specifically forgive, bring to the Lord now. Lord, we just ask for you to bring these to people to our minds. Let's continue. Please break any ungodly tie from this between me and any of my family line. Lord Jesus, if there is any wrong teaching I have received in the church regarding your people Israel, that the church now replaces Israel in your purposes, that you have cursed every generation of the Jews for killing Jesus, that the Jews are an example of a people who will never be saved, that all your blessings and promises are now exclusively for the church, that the Old Testament is inferior to the New Testament. I forgive my pastors and ministers for their misguided teaching. And let's just bring specifically anyone we know that taught supersessionism, that the church has replaced Israel, that the Jews need to be rejected Just speak their name under your breath. All right. Well, let's just ask the Lord to break the tie. Please break every ungodly tie between me and them. Please set me free from these deceptions that I may fully receive the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, I thank you that through your death and resurrection you have defeated Satan and all those he has deceived, that you have won back the authority your father gave to Adam that Satan usurped, and that in your name I as a believer have the right to enforce your authority over Satan, breaking any curses that may have come upon me through anti-Semitism. In Jesus' name, I break any curse of anti-Semitism over my life. And in Jesus' name, I command all spirits of anti-Semitism to leave me now. And let's just wait for a second. Let me pray for you. So I'm just commanding anything of darkness that's had a hold on any of these people now, in Jesus' name, you will come off of them. If you've had a hold on them because of their anti-Semitic background beliefs, they've renounced those. If you need to renounce them specifically, you need to say that, Lord, I renounce it. I renounce any of those beliefs. I don't want to receive those. I don't want to hold those. And we command anything of darkness that's been holding those in and holding the minds of any of these people to leave them now. You will come off of their forehead. And I speak specifically to spirits that come from Freemasonry. In Jesus' name, you will come off of their minds. In any way you have opposed the work of the kingdom in their life in relationship to the nation and people of Israel. I command any, any of those spirits that came through Freemasonry in the family line, in Jesus' name, you will leave them and go to the place where the Lord Jesus appoints for you. It will come off of that area in the forehead that is the third eye. We close the third eye in Jesus' name so that it's not seeing things of darkness or being blocked by things of darkness, and we speak release in Jesus' name. We release you in Jesus' name from any bondage that the enemies had on your mind to receive these transforming truths. Everything of darkness you go right now. Don't hold on. And if you're holding on, you need to reveal what your source is in Jesus' name. You will come off of them and leave right now. All right, let's continue. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your obedience to your Father in dying as his perfect Lamb in place of me, redeeming me from my sin, that at the cross there was the transference of your righteousness for my unrighteousness. Thank you that I am washed clean in your blood, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have won the victory over death and hell. And in you, I have life in all of its fullness. Now, Lord, I just ask for the washing of your blood. And I just bring the blood of Jesus against anything that's remaining. I ask you by your Holy Spirit to come into every place that has been abandoned by anything of darkness. And fill up those places. Lord, I pray that you bring restoration and healing into those places now, Lord. That, Lord, your healing presence would flow into any areas of brokenness that were left by any of this stuff in the past. I pray that your presence now, Lord, would be very real in those places where there's been fear, where there have been lies, Lord. I pray you bring the truth in. Bring the truth in now, Lord. All right, now let's continue with these prayers regarding rejecting identity in Israel. And I just encourage you, even if you don't think you have any Jewish background or uh, bloodline in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you would go ahead and pray this uh, because we don't know over 2,000 years, okay? So, I forgive every person or group of people that tortured, abused, murdered, stole, rejected, or otherwise sinned against me or my ancestors because of our identity in Israel. I release and forgive each and every one of those who have hurt me directly or through my ancestors. Specifically, I forgive. And if you know of, a, of an anti-Semitic uh, attack on you or your family, you may be half Jew and half Gentile somewhere, and there was conflict You would want to forgive the ancestors that rejected your identity, either as a Gentile or a Jew, from either side of the family. Lord, you're creating a one new man, and it is Jew and Gentile. And we just speak that into the hearts of the people that may have been mixed, and there's always been a conflict. There's been some kind of like a schizophrenic effect on them. Lord, we just pray for healing into them now. I think this is significant for some people here. I don't know who it is, but there's something significant that there was a division in your family. So, Lord, we forgive all of those ancestors on either side that rejected the other part of us. All right, let's continue. I forgive those who have offended me because of their behavior, beliefs, or culture as a Jewish person, including my own Jewish family or ancestors. I forgive all these people for any way they cause me to reject my identity as a descendant of Israel or my inheritance in both the land of Israel and the person of Israel." I specifically forgive, and this is just kind of a clean-up prayer, if there's anyone that has offended you in that identity or caused you to reject that identity, just name them if you know of it. Let's continue. I ask you to forgive me for rejecting my own identity in Israel, and in any way I agreed with the enemy about this, And for taking on any false identity that rejected my true calling and purpose. I ask now that you would break and sever every ungodly total tie between me and any of those who caused me to reject my identity in Israel. And Lord, I just ask for a cutting now. That you would bring separation now up the generational line. Lord, we release all those that have passed on and are on the other side of the veil, and we ask for a complete severing and breaking of any ties across that veil with those who have passed. And Lord, with any that are living, Lord, we ask for a separation of any ungodly tie that has come through any of this rejection of the identity of our of Jewish identity in any of the people here. Let's continue. In Yeshua's name, I command anything of darkness that has held me in bondage, preventing me from coming into the fullness of my identity in Israel to leave me now, never to return. Father God, I now choose to accept what you say my identity is and all that means for me and my family in your kingdom. Please show me how to walk in you so that I bring the unity among your children that you prayed for in the garden of Gethsemane. Thank you that as a Gentile or Jew, I too am chosen as you have said, Lord Jesus. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Thank you for the privilege and responsibility of being chosen. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done. I pray now that you would just bring healing in every part where there's been any effect by the enemy and restoration. I pray your shalom now into the inner beings of each of these people. And I tell shame, in Jesus' name, every spirit of shame has been on anybody because of whatever they've done in the past, whatever somebody has done in their family name. In Jesus' name, every bit of shame all shame for being Jewish, all shame for what was done to Jews, the spirit of shame must leave now in Jesus' name. You will not hold on to any of these people anymore. They're released because Jesus bore their shame upon the cross. He received the rejection. Spirits of rejection, in Jesus' name, you all go now. Anything that had a hold because of this, passed. And Lord, I pray you seal it in your work now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.